Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Thank you. So this is uh, actually the largest group of people that I've ever uh, spoken to before. Yes. Does, uh, does anybody want to guess how that makes me feel? <laughs> we'll get through this. We'll get through this. Okay. Uh, so I wanted to yeah, talk a little bit about stress and anxiety. I'm going to stand over here so the projector's not on me. And I think, uh, you know, I, I thought about starting like with kind of a description of stress and anxiety, but I think for the most part, we kind of mostly have an understanding of what stress and anxiety are. So uh, stress and anxiety, you know, the feeling of being overwhelmed, kind of it's described sometimes as mental tension. Uh, there are many, many things, kind of symptoms of it, uh, but kind of fear, fear of the future, fear of the present sometimes. Uh, most of us kind of have a working definition of what uh, stress and anxiety are. If you're kind of wondering if you're stressed or anxious, there's often uh, some really good tests online that you can take that you can uh, uh, Google pretty quickly, kind of a, a, just a quick test about, you know, it's, I forget what they're called, like just a self-test of am I stressed or anxious. But I found that in my work, the, the way that most people find that they are stressed or anxious is because they talk to someone else about how they're feeling and they realize that that's maybe not normal. Okay, and I don't really like the word normal as a counselor. I just want to say that. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, I, mean, I remember having that moment in college. Like, you guys uh, aren't having panic attacks in the middle of the night about that statistics exam tomorrow? That's just me? Okay. Uh, no one else went to the emergency room last night? Oh, okay, okay. Got it, got it. But the problem is that that also kind of makes us feel alone in our stress and anxiety. I really don't like the word crazy either, but I'm going to say it like we often feel crazy for having some of the things that we are anxious about. But what's funny is that when you really talk to people in counseling in that environment about anxious anxiety and stress, it always makes sense. It always makes sense why people are stressed and anxious. Does it make any sense to be uh, very, very anxious about driving a car at the age of, of 30 years old? No, okay? But I got rear-ended by somebody that was going way faster than me, and that made it pretty scary after a concussion and totaling a car and everything. But when you really sit down and talk to somebody, you can realize, okay, that makes sense why you are maybe anxious about that. Sometimes it's, that's kind of an obvious one, but sometimes uh, there's some deeper things going on, but it always makes sense. If you were to say, uh, I very rarely meet people who say, yeah, I got in a car accident, I got rear-ended by somebody that was going way faster than me, and that's when I realized that I'm the king of France. Uh, I've never heard that yet. Uh, an example of one that maybe doesn't make much sense. Most of the time, though, they do make sense. And uh, sometimes, uh, I don't know, I remember getting a little bit annoyed with uh, St. Paul. We'll come back to him in a little bit. Him telling us not to have any anxiety. Uh, that was a little bit of an annoying scripture to read through. Like, just don't do that. Just don't be anxious. Come on. Uh, but that kind of sets us up for a cycle of, uh, okay, so I feel really anxious. Uh, my anxiety doesn't make sense, so that makes me crazy. And Paul tells me not to be anxious. I need to trust in God more, so now I'm not holy either. I just need to pray more, and then maybe this will stop happening. Uh, if anybody has tried to pray their anxiety away uh, uh, solely, they'll probably can tell you that that doesn't work very well sometimes. Okay, prayer definitely needs to be part of it, and that's a you know sacred art counseling trying to bridge the gap between mental health and and the spiritual life. So, 
something uh, uh, the, very interesting. Uh, I call it, uh, well, I didn't come up with this term, but creeping normality. Um, the way that we often find ourselves in places of stress and anxiety. Uh, has anybody heard the uh, uh, story? I like to walk around a lot. I hope I don't get in your personal bubble up here. <laughs> you just tell me if I do. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, but the, uh, uh, has anybody heard about that? Like you put the frogs in the, in the water and, you know, if you put one in when the water's cold and you turn the heat on, it won't jump out. But if you put the frog in when the water's hot, it'll jump right out. That story's not true. That doesn't happen. I was so disappointed when I learned that. I Googled it as an example, and I found it. It's not true at all. If it was, all the frogs would be dead, um, apparently. Like, they, they read their environment, and they know when to jump out of the water. Anyway, I'm still going to use that story to illustrate, okay, that, like, because uh, I can't think of a better example, that um, these things of stress and anxiety often very much creep up on us. Uh, you know, so much of life happens so gradually, you know, uh, think of a child like, you know, learning to walk, learning to, learning to crawl, to walk, to eat, all of these things. And, and sometimes that level of anxiety that they cause in your life, I love my children, but, you know, they cause some anxiety sometimes that can slowly creep up until one day you realize, like, I am so anxious that I, I can't sleep until 4 a.m. You know, but often that is something that comes, comes along very, very gradually. These things sneak up on us. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, self-care. Self-care is, you know, kind of a big, big word in, in the mental health field for like the last 10 years. And, uh, and sometimes uh, self-care, people scoff at it. And sometimes people take it to an extreme and can sometimes use it as like an avenue of sort of selfishness. Uh, like, uh, people don't generally do that, but, you know, to imagine if I told my wife, you know, I've got three kids now, uh, when I get home at night, you know, I really need to watch cops for like four hours to unwind, um, which means, you know, she needs to do the dishes and the food and put the kids to bed. That's my self-care. Okay. I think my wife would have some words for me if I, uh, if I said that. So self-care always needs to be kind of taken in, uh, taken, it always needs to be with sacrifice as well. Self-care and sacrifice go very much hand in hand, okay? Um, has anybody here read The Glass Castle? Yeah, I love that book. It's a great book about a family in poverty. The, the self-care example that I hear some people bring up as being kind of, they don't want to go this route. There's a, it's a homeless family and the, the wife uh, is able to get a teaching job. And for the first time in a long time, the kids have food, they have some clothing, they have some freedom. And then she goes to a teaching seminar over the summer to renew her license where they have a class on self-care. And she come home, comes home to the family and announces that she has uh, quit her job because she's been too focused on other people and needs to take care of herself causing the family to go back into poverty, right? So sometimes people do have that worry that like, I'm gonna be really selfish if I do take care of myself. So when I talk to clients about self-care, um, I talk about uh, uh, recreation, right? Recreation we sometimes think of as, uh, you know, um, like rec centers, physical activity, playing basketball, things like that. But I like using that word for self-care because the root of that, of recreation is recreare which in Latin means to recreate, okay? So when we examine the things that we do for self-care, to unwind, to relax, whatever it might be, we need to look at things that recreate us. What creates our energy? What creates our motivation? What recreates our patience and love for other people? Uh, I know that when I sit down to watch, you know, two hours of Netflix, that's pretty relaxing. Watching eight hours of Netflix, 
uh, until 2 a.m. is not the most recreating thing in my life, right? I don't feel very good after watching eight hours of, of Netflix. The same is true of like exercise. Exercise is like really recreative. Um, drinking uh, a case of beer is not. In the, in the, you know, and sometimes we, we, we need to examine this, like what is the most recreating thing for us? And it's true in relationships too, by the way. What recreates our love for the people in our lives? What do we do together with our friends, family, and spouses that recreates our love for each other? Okay, so something to keep in mind. And sometimes people, um, people uh, uh, think that you know, we, they can, uh, we can do it all and we don't need that self-care and stuff. But what's funny is Christ in the Bible took a lot of care of himself. Uh, I love the stories of you know, Christ being off in the boats by himself. I especially love the stories where no one knows where Jesus is. They're like, where is he? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> he wanted to get away from you guys for a little bit <laughs> because he uh, he needs a little bit of self care. Okay, um, and this you know it's funny. Mother Teresa too. Um, apparently, one of the uh, young uh, novices in her order at one point said, "You know, we could help a lot more people if we only did a holy hour every other day instead of every day." And you know what Mother Teresa told her? We're doing two a day now. <laughs> okay. Mother Teresa knew. She knew that. Um, so something, uh, uh, another, I'm not going to get into this too much tonight, but boundaries is another good thing that often goes hand in hand with self-care. There's a great book called Boundaries by Clouds and Townsend. It is required reading in the class I teach at the seminary. And it's pretty much required reading for the clients that come and see me as well. So I highly recommend that. It's on my website, on my resources page, if you want to check it out. Um, the uh, By Clouds and Townsend, if you're interested. Uh, but tonight... The main thing, oh, one more thing, surrender. I want to, uh, uh, a very kind of practical thing for stress and anxiety is uh, what's called the locus of control. Um, basically what I'd like you to do, not, not right now, but when you have some free time, sometimes this takes hours, write down all the things that make you stressed and anxious. Write them all down on a piece of paper uh, and then go back over that list and separate them into two columns, things that you can control and things that you cannot control. Okay, uh, I've heard people get stressed about the weather. Uh, that makes them very anxious, the snow outside. Uh, and then at the, at the same time, we'll talk about how stressed they are because their house is dirty. Okay, uh, one of those things you can control. Okay, you can't control the snow outside, but you can control how, how clean your house is. And so what we wanna do is, of course, redirect our time and energy to the things that we can control. And the rest is surrendered to God. We're gonna get more to surrender in a little bit, but I want you to keep that in mind, surrendering to God. So, <clears throat> when I work with clients, uh, the most frequent thing that I am discussing with them is narrative. Narratives about their life, narratives that they believe about themselves, about the world around them, and the people in their lives. These narratives are learned um, from our family of origin, from uh, the relationships that we have in our lives, uh, friendships, uh, romantic relationships, whatever it might be. And we often place these shoulds on ourselves uh, that lead to us being stressed and anxious because we aren't meeting the shoulds of our lives, right? Uh, and we all have these very, very different shoulds. And it's kind of funny. I love when, when you say you're stressed or anxious about something, what's the first response a lot of people have? Don't be stressed about that. And it's like, well, you don't really care about this, you know, like, uh, and I do, okay? It's kind of funny because uh, my wife and I really uh, enjoy hosting. And uh, I do not look at the state of the house before people come over. And she is anxious about how clean that house is, 
right? And I'm way more focused on how good the food is. Uh, I do the cooking, by the way. I'm not talking about my wife's like, you need to make it right. I don't mean it like that. I am doing the cooking, okay? Uh, and and uh, so I'm like way more worried about the food being just right. And she's more worried about the house being just right. And why is that? Because in a lot of ways, uh, she's a stay-at-home mom. That is like the example of, of how good of a homemaker she is being. She's, I asked her if I could share this with all of you. She said it's okay. Um, you know, she's, she's uh, of course, is not so focused, but it's like there's like that nagging kind of voice. Like, uh, if, if your house is not clean enough, it means you're not a good enough homemaker. You're not a good enough mom. You can't do it all. You know, and I notice that sometimes just in like the, oh, the dishwasher isn't running, running again. Okay, the man of the house couldn't fix it. Like I'm not, you know, good enough. But anyway, back to the food thing. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the food, like, uh, I kind of, it's funny, Father Ryan Mann, um, he joins us when we make carbonara. Uh, I make really good carbonara. And uh, I joked with him the last time he was there. I said, when, when you're like me and you don't have a personality, you better be a good cook. Because uh, otherwise people aren't going to come visit you. Um, but all jokes aside, like, I really like being told that my cooking is good. I really like kind of being told that, uh, that people had a good time at my house because of the food or, you know, it can make people make me feel like worthwhile, accomplished, all these things. And we can look at that and think that that's really shallow or something, but we all kind of have these things that we, so if the food isn't just right, I'm going to be really stressed and anxious. And we do this with so many things. Are our kids good enough in sports? Are our kids smart enough? Uh, what car do I drive? Is it, is it nice enough to convey that I am successful? Right? We all kind of have these types of things. And these things all very much change over time. It's so funny because uh, you'll hear about this a couple times tonight. I'm from South Dakota. I grew up on a ranch out in the middle of nowhere in a town of 350 people. And the nearest Walmart was like 120 <coughs> miles away. Okay? Very isolated. And uh, everyone's driving on gravel roads. So everyone would drive these like Buicks from the 90s. Uh, you know, that, that were like, real, I love Buicks, they're nice cars, but they were like pretty cheap, they ran forever, and you didn't have to worry about the gravel knocking all the paint off of them. I didn't see like a Range Rover till I was like 24, because the nearest dealership was 10 hours away, okay? And so we kind of like looked down our noses sometimes when we'd see this in movies about people keeping up with the Joneses about their cars, those shallow city folk, couldn't believe that. And then I moved to Cleveland, and like after a year of living here, I was like, those Audis are pretty cool. <laughs> like, man, how much do those cost? Oh, <laughs> you know. But like, my point is that like we look to the world around us sometimes to see where to take that value. And of course, we, did, we looked down our noses at people that wanted a Range Rover because uh, nobody had them, nobody cared, nobody valued that. It was much more important the kind of tractor you had. Uh, yeah, John Deere. Uh, no. Uh, so the, uh, these things can very much change over time, depending on where we are in life, right? Um, and there's also this funny thing called mimetic desire. If any of you haven't heard of mimetic desire, it's basically kind of wanting what other people have. Like you see that in a tot like toddlers. The toddler doesn't want to play with the toy until the other kid picks it up. Right. And then now I want it really bad. And so I guess like uh, I'm kind of bringing that up because 
Lent is a really good time to sort of examine some of these shoulds and how we might need to kind of die to some of the things that we are chasing that are ultimately not satisfactory, right? There's, there is, of course, nothing wrong with owning a Range Rover, not communicating that. That's not my message tonight. But like, am I finding satisfaction in that? You know, uh, am I, is that sort of what I try to give me peace when I'm anxious or stressed? Or, or what do I look at? Uh, what do I want that is causing me stress and anxiety because I don't have it? Okay. Um, the, uh, um, yeah, so another thing to consider is, um, sometimes we look forward to, um, to, to something being over so that our stress and anxiety will end, right? Uh, there's all sorts of country songs about this, you know, like, oh, when the kids grow up, you know, and uh, when they're out of the house and stuff, I love it. You play the country song in reverse and you get your dog back, you get your wife back, you get your, um, <laughs> But anyway, there's kind of like, I remember all these songs about, you know, like, um, you're going to miss these moments, you know, but you think like when the kids are older, it's going to be not quite as stressful, you know. And often we just find new things to be stressed and anxious about, right? Uh, this wasn't told to me in relation to this, but I love this expression. Um, Father Josh told me over at St. Charles, if everywhere you go uh, smells like dog poop, uh, it might be time to check your shoe. Um, <laughs> If you find yourself stressed and anxious in many, many different kind of places, no matter what is relieved, whatever it might be, it might be time to sort of examine what is going on in here that makes the, you know, we all kind of have that, the, the stress and anxiety of life that is kind of, you know, yeah, I don't, when I get a flat tire, I'm not very happy about it, you know, but does that ruin my day? You know, does that make me agitated to the people around me? That's when uh, we might have to examine what's on our shoe a little bit. Um, and so in, in examine these, examining these shoulds, these narratives about what makes us valuable, um, people often probably get a little exhausted with me in counseling because I ask why a lot, right? Why do you believe that? You know, uh, I, I have to be on pastoral counsel to be, you know, like a, a good Catholic. You know, what, where did you get that idea? Why do you, why do you think that? And people often go, I, I, I don't know. Like, okay, think about that, you know, uh, because there's nothing, yeah, being a pastoral counsel is, 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 is great, of course, but um, sometimes we think that that's going to, like, give us the satisfaction, um, that that's going to make us enough, you know, that's going to make us loved. And, and, and essentially what I've learned is that everybody wants to feel loved and everybody wants to belong. And that's often what drives many, many of these other external desires. So I ask all sorts of questions. Why about your personal, your childhood? How, what was valued in your childhood? Was it sports? You know, was it being a good Catholic? Was it being, a, you know, getting a 35 on your ACT? Um, the, uh, uh, because that might be playing a, a role in this right now. What about the impactful relationships, your friends? What was cool when you were in middle school? You know, uh, what is that playing a part in, in what makes you feel valued now? Um, and... Uh, uh, yeah, what made you feel loved and valued? Because these are all things that are going to have an impact on stress and anxiety. They need to be explored and potentially healed uh, if they are harmful. It's interesting because God, uh, God asked us to be in the world, uh, but not of it, right? And uh, uh, we're coming back to St. Paul here pretty quick. Um, it's interesting how much, you know, we can look at the world and be like, you know, 
I'm not into wealth. I'm not a materialist. I don't really watch that much TV. That's not for me. You know, I try to do the rosary every day. I don't have time to watch the news, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I find myself saying these things sometimes, you know. I don't watch, I do watch football now because I live in a place that cares about football. <laughs> but I didn't in South Dakota. And it was kind of easy to be like, those guys, the people in their sports, you know. Um, you know, it kind of makes me feel a little bit self-righteous sometimes, like, uh, you know, that I'm not, I'm not doing those, those kind of worldly things. And then I look around and realize, like, sometimes I like people to see my rosary, or I like them to see that I'm a Catholic counselor, you know. And I realize that I've now made a world out of my church that God wants me to be uh, in but not of, Right. I've now taken, you know, those, those things and put them in my church, so to speak, right? And not that, you know, we need to, okay, well, I need to stop all those things. But no, we need to examine that. We need to go deeper in that. Um, and so uh, I love my, my wife shared this with me just yesterday as I was kind of discussing this talk with her. Um, uh, we can't fail at being a child of God. Right, all the other things that we think will make us like that we want to succeed at, all of those can be failed. You know, uh, we can we cannot be on pastoral counsel. We can uh, lose people in our lives. We can do all of these things, but we will never fail being a child of God. And that's where we need to rest, not in uh, the world around us and what we see as potentially a success or peace or love. It was funny this question. Speaking of counseling, like the why that we're asking in counseling. It's so funny because you can't do therapy on yourself. Like I can't just go into the mirror and ask myself why a lot of times and just make myself better, you know? And uh, I'm not alone in that, I found out. Apparently St. Thomas More was considered one of the best uh, spiritual directors like in history. And he considered himself absolutely incapable of spiritually directing himself, which I thought was very interesting. So this is, and that's again, a, a, another example of how God made us for each other. God made us for the communities, the people around us. He didn't make us to be alone. So that is a little bit about the, the narratives that we sometimes live that are harmful and cause us stress and anxiety. So how do we rest in the narrative that God wills for us? How do we change uh, some of those messages on our heart? When I talk to people about, I, I very frequently ask people about their prayer. Um, you know, instead of asking, what do you pray for? I often ask people, how do you pray? Right? Um, because, uh, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I learned, you know, you go play for the people, you pray for the people that are sick, you pray for your family, and you say you're our father and three Hail Marys, and you're kind of done, done for the day. Check that box. Um, and that's, that's a good place to start. And those are good prayers, of course, to pray for other people. But God wants us to take that deeper. God wants relationship with us. And I often like sharing this example of, of uh, what does that really mean to be in a relationship with someone? Uh, one of the best ways to kind of, I think, illustrate it is often with either a spouse or one of your best friends, right? Um, imagine if, uh, if I got home from work and I sat down with my wife and I said, um, today was kind of a rough day. I was stressed. Um, yeah, if you could change that for me, that'd be great. I'll see you in the morning. Uh, you know, and that's kind of how we talk to God on the car ride home sometimes, you know. Like, man, that stunk. Give me a new job. I hated that. All right. See ya. <laughs> you know, um, that would be, you know, and, and so sometimes I, 
I, uh, I kind of think I, I find myself kind of treating God like Santa Claus almost sometimes, you know, like here's my list of prayers, here's my list of demands and wishes or whatever, and just, you know, make those happen real quick. Um, and of course, God doesn't work that way. Like, I used to have a lot of a test anxiety, if you haven't, you know, uh, been able to tell some, from some of my stories, like, what was my prayer when I was up until 3 a.m. about tests? Anybody know? God, give me an A, right? <laughs> That's it. Just God, give me an A. God, give me an A. I will say 50 Hail Marys if you will give me an A, you know? And it's like, imagine again, if we talk to our spouses that way, you know, like uh, it just it's crazy to think that we would talk to, to a loved one that way, you know, uh, give me these things. But um, we need to surrender some of those. Um, let me see. We need to surrender those things. Um, to God and not just sort of get, we need to, of course, it's good to ask for that A. It's not a bad thing to ask for that A, but to just sit with him and say, I am overwhelmed about this test. The way that we would sit with a spouse. And hopefully if we have good spouses or good friends that are attentive to us, what do they often do when we share something like, I am stressed? They'll say things like, I'm really sorry. What can I do for you? Um, How can I help with this? That's how Christ wants to speak to us, not just be Santa Claus with a list to check off, right? And um, it's, it's really interesting to imagine, to, like when we're stressed and anxious and how hard we're being on ourselves. it's really interesting to, to think about how we talk to ourselves. We would never, ever talk to someone else the way that we talk to ourselves sometimes. Uh, and, and Christ being present in that sort of treats us, te- teaches us how to love ourselves a little bit more. Right? I sometimes think about, like, uh, imagine if one of your friends in college got, like, a, a C on a test or something, and you were like, geez, Sarah, yeah, you're, you're probably not ever going to amount to anything. <laughs> um, a couple nights ago, I left the dome light on in my car and woke up to a dead battery, and I was thinking of another one, like, a friend saying, like, yeah, man, Luke, I did not realize how stupid you were. <laughs> imagine friends talking to each other that way? They're not your friend, right? But we talk to ourselves like that all the time. And it's, it's so terrible that, you know, I just imagine sometimes the sadness of God hearing us talk about ourselves that way, right? Sometimes we need to ask God in prayer to show us the truth of who we are, show us who we really are, because we have such a negative view of ourselves, right? Um, so I love, I love The Chosen. I'm a big fan of, uh, of The Chosen. And I... I uh, I haven't even seen season three yet, but I just, there's something about the way that actor kind of portrays, like, uh, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, portrays, like, the gentleness and peace, uh, the acceptance of people. Um, gosh, I want to give an example, but I realized I'm going to spoil something. Um, if you know, okay, season two, one of the people kind of screws up and goes to town for a little bit, if you've seen that, that part. When they, I'm not even going to say gender, when they come back, uh, they're like fretting outside of the tent, worrying about Jesus. Just like, what is he going to say? So anxious, so stressed. And uh, she finally has time. He has time. He opens the tent. She walks in and, and she just is breaking down like, a, dang it, I said she. Uh, they, are, they are breaking down. <laughs> dang it. She is breaking down crying. And, uh, and Jesus just says, I'm so glad you're back, basically, is what he says. I'm so glad you're back. And she says, I should have known better. 
you forgave me. And he says, uh, not much of a forgiveness if it only lasted one day. You know, I just love like that. That's the person we need to sit with when we are stressed and anxious. That is, the, that is where we need to rest, right? Um, and I love sometimes like the, when we're stressed and anxious about, <clears throat> about making the right decision or something, you know, which is a lot of the reasons why we kind of get stressed and anxious. Like uh, I love Bishop Barron said that God works like Google Maps, um, which I love that example. When you, uh, you, know, you plug in your destination, right? In our example here, the destination is heaven, hopefully, right? Heaven. And uh, as long as we keep trying, what does Google Maps do? If you take a redirects, if you take the wrong corner, it doesn't say like, you moron, pull over and quit, you know, uh, go back home, try again tomorrow. Like, no, it just redirects you. Sometimes it's a full U-turn. Uh, I've learned that one, but sometimes, you know, it's just a, a redirection. You know, there's the patience, the love, the acceptance that is just redirecting us back towards heaven. And so coming back a little bit to St. Paul here, um, Paul said, have no anxiety. And I remember, I remember being really upset at that in college and thinking, well, well, Paul, you never had a calculus final that was 60% of your final grade. You never had to make spaghetti for 50 people. <laughs> but then I realized, um, I, I've never had to worry about being beheaded. Um, so he's probably a little holier than I am. Um, and so, um, yeah, like, I think to sometimes when we read the Bible, I, I kind of have, like, when I talk to clients, I like to talk about what we kind of have, like, we have book answers about what we should tell ourselves in prayer when we're stressed. You know, like, oh, Paul said, don't have any anxiety. Or, uh, or I know Jesus loves me. You know, people would just kind of flippantly say these things, you know. And they, they're kind of like these book answers that we're taught since we're young. And, and we just kind of try to tell ourselves these things to make us feel better. Instead of really actually trying to listen and sit with God in that prayer. I do this all the time. Like, if I'm feeling, like, lonely or something, the first thing I jump in with, well, you know, God loves me. Like, that should magically make me feel better. What I need to do is go sit with God and say, God, I feel very lonely right now. And just like we would with the spouse, we sit there and we listen, we wait, we sit with them, right? We can't just go, you know, I feel lonely and then leave, right? Um, and so sometimes, uh, you know, one of the, again, that first response that people have, don't be stressed about that, don't be anxious. Um, the... Uh, that's really, their heart is in the right place, right? But that often comes off as very, uh, in, call it like invalidating, not really recognizing the pain that we're having or not recognizing the care that we have for something, no matter how small it seems to people. And, uh, but again, their heart's in the right place. But that is not what God is going to do to us in our prayer. God is not going to tell you to just stop thinking about that. Just stop worrying about that. The other, I hear so frequently too, uh, I got a roof over my head. I got water. I got food. There's hungry kids in Africa. So why? I, I feel terrible about feeling anxious. I get that all the time. It's really sad that there are people in poverty around the world, but you are going to experience pain and suffering. That is guaranteed. It doesn't matter uh, if you if you live in, in an upper-class neighborhood or in a... Um, 
a slum in a foreign country, whatever it might be, uh, you are going to experience those things. And God, Christ, came to speak into each and every one of our pain, uh, regardless of status or money or whatever it might be. God wants to work with you on your pain and suffering, wants to bring you healing. Uh, he's not going to sit there and tell you, like, look, you got water, you got running water, you got a toilet over here. Buck up, soldier. Like, I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is, too, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Speaking of the frogs, uh, I looked up the first time that pull yourself up by your bootstraps has ever been like, uh, a, like the, the furthest back they can record it. It is in a textbook from the 1870s illustrating a paradox that it is impossible to pick yourself up off the ground. <laughs> and we use this expression to like, you know, work harder and get over it, you know, or, or you know, you just need to think about things. Right? It's people talk about that all the time. Like, uh, you know, have you tried to be more positive, you know, for your depression? No, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, of course I, you know, um, and there's just kind of this like thing with mental health. Like, and I just love that that expression that we use was used to illustrate a paradox, an impossibility. You can't do that. And so, yeah, God's going to tell us to like be tough. He's not going to do that. He's going to sit with us in that pain and he's going to, tr to try to bring us healing. He's going to be there with us. Um, and so we need to, um, that's surrendering. Uh, you know, I think sometimes I think Paul and Mother Teresa and St. John Paul II, these saints were able to not be anxious because they were just in this total state of surrender all the time, you know. Um, and again, that's not to imply that people who are anxious just haven't learned how to surrender enough. I don't mean that. Um, but the prayer that I encourage people to do is, is to go into prayer and to sit and say, Jesus, I feel blank. I feel stressed. I feel anxious, whatever it might be. To imagine yourself almost holding that, holding that stress, and to sit in silence and let God speak into your heart about that. That is really hard when you have anxiety, by the way, because your mind is racing a mile a minute. If, if, if that anxiety is really disrupting that prayer, that might be a good time to kind of seek counseling. Uh, that, that is a, a very difficult place to be, and hopefully counseling will help with that. But to go in and, uh, and just surrender that feeling, that stress, whatever it is, but then to sit and listen for Christ's response. And sometimes the feeling, like feeling stress or anxiety, sometimes we will learn that it's a deeper thing. Jesus, uh, today I really feel like I'm a bad mom. I feel like I did a really poor job today. And to just sit with that. Jesus, I, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm a lazy, terrible worker. Just sit with that, okay? Um, and let God speak into that. Because God, again, is going to be, to be present and sit with us in that pain. He's not going to dismiss it. He's not going to tell you to work harder, to be tougher. Prayer is part of it, but trying to pray away something with mental health is very, very difficult. Um, and that's where, again, a counselor can be, can be very helpful on that front. Yes, God is present in the pain. Oh. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. 
Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.